0: This morning, we're we're pleased to have Pastor Dan bringing the sermon to us this morning. Pastor Wesley is away, but I will be reading the scripture this morning, and so I would ask you to stand at this time for the reading of God's word. <clears throat> God's word this morning comes from the book of Acts, and I will be reading verses 22 through verse 41 of chapter 2. So Acts 2, 22 through 41. Hear the word of God. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are witnesses. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, the Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel, therefore, know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus, whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And with many other words he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to God.
1: You may be seated. So if you're like me and follow the news, however, sporadically and remotely, you, you wonder to yourself, are we done with COVID? I know I preached uh, probably a year and a half ago here on the church in an age of COVID or in a time of COVID. So are, are masks on or masks off? It depends, I guess, on where you live, uh, on, on what mode of transport you take, um, which level of government is deciding to open things up and which level of government is deciding to close them down. But through it all, we've sort of uh, braved whatever the winds are that have blown at us and sort of made our own way through. And now as we come to 2022, we look back on you know, two years plus of dealing with COVID and, and wonder, are we going to get back to normal? And if so, when? Um, we sort of told ourselves that that would be happening uh, and that sort of church as we know it would resume. But instead, most surveys indicate that church attendance is roughly 30% to 50% of what it was before COVID. And for many churches, a half-full sanctuary is now a reason for celebration. Um, the question is, is the new normal simply Accepting the church in decline. Now, I know we, we at the Forks, in some way or another, ask ourselves that. I'm sure on a regular basis. I know our leadership does. Pastor Wesley wonders those things. But um, we wonder. A recent article within the last six months, looking back at this, headlines, Churches changed during the pandemic and many aren't going back. And and the article went on to describe how various churches and religious leaders are are trying to attract members for the long haul. That's the way that they put it. And one church leader said this, What we are trying to build is something that is COVID-proof and recession-proof. What we are trying to build is something that is COVID-proof and recession-proof. Now, that particular religious leader wasn't cited by name, but... Whatever that looks like in detail, I, I think, given the benefit of the doubt, we can at least affirm a desire for, for the church to be faithful in pursuing the mission of sharing the gospel with an ever-increasing number of people until the day the Lord returns. I think we can grant that. We, we want to be faithful in the mission of sharing the gospel with an ever-increasing number of people until the Lord returns. And he will, of course, return. We didn't read this, but at, at the end of... Luke's, uh, excuse me, not the end of Luke, but the beginning of Luke's Acts chapter 1, as Luke tells the account of Jesus being raised up in the ascension, he says in verses 10 and 11, And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up into heaven? This Jesus, who was taking up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. And so the focus of of those angelic messengers at Jesus' ascension was like that of the disciples on Jesus. And, And the focus of the church in our day needs to be the same. We need to be focused upon this Jesus. The one who went up will, in fact, return. And in light of that return... We need to be focused on him and what he would have us do. We can assume, even presume, that whatever Jesus intends for us to be doing will itself be COVID-proof and recession-proof. And Peter's sermon here on the day of Pentecost that we have in Acts chapter 2 is, is really a model of what it means to focus on this Jesus. If you have your bulletin insert there, I'm, I'm going to talk about three different areas, what, what Peter said about this Jesus, what Peter told his hearers to do about this Jesus, and then what we who know this Jesus today are to be doing. And then just a couple reflections on what that might mean for us today. So, we are... As as Glenn read, we are sort of plunked in the middle of Peter's Pentecost preaching, if you will. Um, Just a little review. Of course, this is now Pentecost, the Feast of Weeks, which was an observance of the Israelites commemorating the giving of the law at Mount Sinai. And that's why you have here earlier, as Luke tells in the beginning verses, in, in verses 9 and 10 following, of people who have come from all over the known world, Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, they are all there to celebrate and commemorate God's giving of the law. And it's into that context that this falling of the Spirit upon the disciples who are gathered there in the upper room occurs. Now, it's interesting that Peter, in his unfolding, has to counter the notion that, that these guys are drunk. It's only nine in the morning. Um, observant Jews who would have been there for the Feast of Weeks were prohibited by law from consuming alcoholic beverages before nine in the morning. So, so Peter simply saying to them, look, they, it's not possibly that they're drunk. They're observant Jews. They're here. And what is happening is a declaration of what God has done. This is what is uttered through the apostle Joel. And then he goes on, excuse me, the apostle, the prophet Joel. And then he goes on to talk about the pouring of the Spirit. Now what is interesting, I went back to the Old Testament. If you look, when God gave the law at Sinai, the cloud covered the mountain. The glory of God seen in the cloud covered the mountain. And there was like fire on the mountain. And if you go back even further than the giving of the law, you go back to Exodus uh, chapter 40, you see there that when the Israelites completed the tabernacle with the instructions that God had given to Moses, the tabernacle was filled with the glory of God. The, the cloud came by day and the fire by night, and the Lord's presence was there in the tabernacle. And then when the temple was completed under Solomon, as Solomon dedicates the temple, the same thing occurs. The the glory of God comes and is present visibly among his people in the temple. So you have this background. The giving of the law accompanied by the glory of God on the mountain with fire on the mountain. The dedication of the tabernacle and the dedication of the temple, both being where God met with his people to worship covered with God's glory, and now you have the tongues of fire that descend on the disciples. A very, very strong indication, almost proclamation, that God is now present in a new and different kind of way, and he is present with them because of what Jesus has done. This Jesus is the one who has, if you will, catalyzed God's new Act God's new present. They are not drunk, but in fe- instead possess the Spirit. So Peter talks about Jesus, his life, his ministry, his good works, his death, his resurrection, his exaltation. All of this to point to, as he said, this Jesus. Again, back to what Glenn read in verse twenty-three. This Jesus, this one who did these acts who God attested to, this Jesus you had killed. But but God raised him up from the dead because it was not possible for him to see corruption. He cites both Psalm 16 and Psalm 110 as Old Testament proofs that, that the promised Messiah would not stay in the grave. He would not see corruption. Verse 32, this Jesus, that one, I'm talking about this Jesus, God raised up, and we've seen that. He's, he's exalted to the right hand of God. And again, he makes the point that it wasn't David who ascended, because, but David says himself, verse twenty or excuse me, 34, the Lord said to my Lord. Now, if you recall, when Jesus had an encounter with the religious leaders of his day, he said to them, Whose son is the Messiah? And they said, Well, David's son. And Jesus said, How then can David call his son my Lord? There's a conundrum there for Jesus' uh, interrogators back in in the Gospels. But now Peter is falling through by saying, Look, David didn't ascend. The Lord didn't say, God didn't say to David, sit at my right hand. God said to David's Lord, Sit at my right hand. And Peter concludes his, if you will, sermon explanation of Jesus by saying in verse 36, Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you have crucified. So over and over again, Peter points to Jesus. Jesus is the explanation for what you're seeing and hearing. Jesus is the one who who you had killed. Jesus is the one whom we have witnessed as raised, resurrected. Jesus is the one who sits at the right hand of God and has poured out what you are seeing here. You're you're here to commemorate the giving of the law when in a way something greater than that is here. What is here is the presence of God in his people, not in the tabernacle celebrated with cloud and fire and glory not in the temple celebrated again in cloud and glory but here in this new people this jesus god has exalted to his right hand and made him both lord and christ this jesus whom you crucified and of course now if you read in verse 37 when they heard this They were cut to the heart and said to the Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? These are the things we have done to this Jesus. What shall we now do? And Peter says, repent and be baptized, everyone in the name of Jesus, for the forgiveness of sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, think about this. This Jesus, whom they cried out to crucify, put to death. They insisted that Pilate put him to death. This Jesus, whom they had spurned, whom they had rejected, whom they had crucified, this is the one whom they are now to acknowledge is in fact Lord, that is God, And Messiah. Talk about a 180 degree turn. This is exactly what they need to do. Repent. In the New Testament, the the word repent, metanoia, means to change direction. To turn around. And, And fundamentally and immediately here, of course, in this passage, is turning around about what they thought of Jesus. This Jesus, whom you did these things to, whom you rejected. This Jesus is the one in whose name you are now to be baptized now you might say adding insult to injury recognize that for the Jews baptism was considered only to be necessary for Gentile converts Jews were the circumcised and therefore the accepted children of God they were his people and the notion that they would have to be now baptized was itself you might say an insult but 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 Submitting to that in the name of the one whom they had rejected. Now, you're not going to do that. You're not going to do that unless this Jesus, you are convinced is who he said he is, is the one whom Peter has proclaimed. You will not believe in his name and be baptized in his name unless you are absolutely convinced that this is what, this is the one whom God has sent. This Jesus is Lord and Christ, As one commentator says, by being baptized in Christ's name, they meant by his authority, acknowledging his claims, subscribing to his doctrines, engaging in his service, and relying on his merits. From, from the rejected one whom they had put to death now as Lord in Christ, he is all in all to those who receive him to those who, who repent and believe in his name. Peter declares that, that as a result of that, of, of turning to Jesus, of receiving him and being baptized in his name, you will be forgiven of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And notice in, in verse 39, the promise is not just for those present. It's, it's for them in the present time, for their children, that is, for generations to come, for all who are far off, that is, outside Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to all of those nations that have been uh, listed in the beginning of of chapter 2, for all, and even universal, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, save yourselves from this crooked generation now as we transition to what we're doing i just want you to notice that what peter is calling his hearers to do is not just some sort of private little in in their heart recognition it is a public acknowledgement of jesus it is to be baptized out loud in the daylight to acknowledge his claims upon their lives and to save themselves in other words to, to leave the nominal traditional community of Judaism, that is, a, you might say, Old Testament faith, and come into the community of New Testament belief in Jesus as Lord and Savior. That's what it means. Save yourselves from this crooked generation. Come out from there and come to here. You're not just accepting Jesus privately, you're publicly identifying him with him, with other believers. And of course, we, we understand that as 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 they unfolded. The church. If you're committed to Jesus, you're committed to Jesus' community. You're committed to Jesus' people. You're committed to be one of his, and his body is the church. So so Peter is saying to those who were added, the three thousand souls, you have a different life now. That you are called to enter into. And of course, as Pastor Wesley preached for a number of weeks, verses 42 through 47 are the description of how those who saved themselves through Jesus from that crooked and corrupt generation now lived. The way that their lives were changed and the things that they did. But that's what Peter calls them to. So he declares Jesus... His ministry, his life, his death, his ascension, his current ongoing ministry, and his eventual return. And he invites, exhorts, encourages his hearers to, to leave their present situation and to come into that which is the church, into the, the body of Christ, to be, to be his disciples now in, in the new community in which God dwells. So what are we to do? What are we to do? Well, as it says here, those who believed were baptized and were added that day about 3,000 souls. From the small group that gathered in the upper room, the church increases by about 26-fold. It, it is now exploding because of the work of God. And our struggle today is, is how are we to be faithful to that gospel, to, to what they declare how are we to be faithful to this Jesus who is Lord and Messiah so that we connect with modern men and women? I know I've shared this with you uh, previously, but I recall when I was in seminary approaching a neighbor, a fellow resident of our apartment building, um, with the evangelism explosion question. Some of you are familiar with that. First question that you ask is, um, if you were to die tonight, are you sure you'd go to heaven? And, of course, that opens up some conversation, hopefully. And then the second question is, if, if you were to die and to stand in front of God, and he said, why should I let you into heaven, what would you say to him? In other words, what are you grounding your hope in? And as I shared these two questions with the guy, oh, well, yeah, he was sure he was going to heaven. And, and why would you tell God you should be let in? And he looked at me and he said, why would he want to leave me out? Why, why would he not want me to be in there? No cognizance of sin before a holy God. We live in a world which, I don't want to say, inhabits that mindset. Why would God want to keep, if there is a God, why wouldn't he like me? So one of the problems that we deal with in trying to share the gospel of Jesus Christ is the reality that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And that the wages of sin is death. that that there is no life apart from Jesus. Our small group is memorizing the verse in John. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. And, And that is the reality of the spiritual world. But it's not the reality of our world. People do not understand that, do not accept that, are not open to that unless... The Spirit of God has come upon them as he did in the days of Peter. And so we have to focus on Jesus. Who is this Jesus? What has he done? We have to to be able to to talk about who he is to us. Now recognize that, that our testimony is not the gospel. Our testimony is how we came to Encounter, understand, or be encountered by the gospel. That's where we need to go. But our testament is how we got there to Jesus, to this Jesus. And he is the focus of what we need to do, to tell what we've come to know and to experience. That that makes it good news because it's not only what Jesus did as Peter preached, you know he, he died on the cross, he was raised, he ascended, he intercedes he's returning but but what he offers, and that is a forgiveness from sin and, and a fullness of the spirit that is, there is over against the cancel culture which we inhabit, there is actually forgiveness for sin to to fail to fall, to be flawed. And to still be accepted. That's good news in a cancel culture. There's none of that in the world in which we live. So, so that's one of the things that this Jesus brings to our lives. And, and we need to be confident in that. We need to be comfortable in that. We need to declare that in the world in which we live. That there is hope. There is the reality of forgiveness in Jesus. But there's also the reality of the Spirit's indwelling power that we can be what we were meant to be. What God created us to be is a living and real possibility for us in the Spirit. We, we can be not only free from guilt and judgment and, and self-centered, but we can be free to be the persons God has made us to be. And in this world of of transgender confusion and of all kinds of of misunderstandings and and rebellion against God's ordered world, this is the only way to life. We can be free, free from guilt and free to be what God has made us to be. And, And this is in this Jesus, the one whom Peter has preached, the one whom this church declares, the one in whom we have believed in the gospel of this Jesus. So I want to just offer a couple observations based on Peter's Pentecost message. First, the gospel is for going, not for coming. Jesus says there in that great commission, Matthew 28, go and make disciples of all nations. Go. Don't expect all nations to come. Go. And then further, as he's speaking to his disciples there in Acts chapter 1, before he's taken up, he tells them, when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. The gospel is made for going, not for coming. We don't sit and wait. We go out and engage the world in our neighborhoods, in our communities, in our families, in our workplaces. We go. We go. Because this is my second observation that, that the gospel is dynamic and portable. Peter says this in 1 Peter 2, verses 4 and 5. As you come to him, a living stone, rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house. To be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. You see, Christians no longer need a temple. We, we are the temple. So wh- where Christians go, God is going. Where, where you and I go, the presence of God and, and therefore the power of God in the spirit is present there. We, we don't have to, to be someplace we can be going someplace. We are portable and dynamic. Jesus tells the woman at the well in, in John chapter 4, the Samaritan woman, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem do you worship God, but, but God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. Well, that's possible anywhere, isn't it? That the, the church is not bound to or by a place or a people. Now, I've used the illustration of what I call a GPS Jesus on a number of occasions. But, but simply to say, you know, if you have a GPS, and you have reception, but we'll let that go. Um, if you have a GPS, I loved it when I was hunting. You know, you just park by the road, hit home, and then go wander. And, you know, you could push deer for somebody else. You could sit on your deer stand. You could, you know, do whatever you needed to do. And when it came time to go home, you returned via your GPS. So you may not know where you were, but you weren't lost because you had a GPS. And I liken that to our, our, if you will, converse through the world in which we live. We can actually wander around, you might say hang with, develop relationships with people who are lost. Because at some point, they're going to go, I have no idea where I am in life, in the world, in, in my journey. And you're like, oh, Do you want me to help you find the way home? Because Jesus is there. You, You don't have to go anywhere to help a lost person get found. Because where you are is found. Jesus is there, and and like the GPS, you always know where home is. Home is where Jesus is, and Jesus is where we are. So so the gospel is for going, not for coming. The gospel is dynamic and it's portable. And, and also the, the gospel, because of that, is both COVID-proof and recession-proof. You know, we don't have to keep the doors of the building open in order to be the church. We, we don't have to have, you know, our, our budget for the year in order to be the church. We, we are the church. As, as one church growth Author wrote, this is years ago, church is not a place for people to attend. Church is a process for tending people. And if we have that mindset, we can see that COVID doesn't stop that. COVID doesn't keep me from being Christ ambassador wherever I am. I, I don't have to be like the Pied Piper of Hamlin and have all the folks follow me to some place. All they have to do is be where I am. All I have to do is be where they are. And, and that is COVID-proof, recession-proof. J- just a test, if you will. Um, I have the heights here, so don't charge the pulpit as a result. But think about this for a minute. So Daniel goes to Babylon. He and his friends are taken captive. They go to Babylon. They are trained in the wisdom, the administration, the ways and, and customs of Babylon in order to be administrators, governors, satraps. But at the beginning of that, Daniel is faced with a choice of eating the king's rich food, which no doubt was offered to idols, or abstaining from that. And, and he kind of negotiates his way uh, to the guard and says, look, just test me for 10 days. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink, and then see whether or not we're in as good a shape as the people who are eating the king's rich food. Now, the first guy that he offered that to said, look, you know, if, if I fail, it's, or if you fail, it's my head. But they prevailed upon the guard, and they did that. And at the end, it tells us that Daniel and his friends were, you know, healthier and wiser and more capable than all of the rest of the Israelite captive youths. So, if we want to reach people with the gospel, here's the a, here's a little test I'm proposing. And since I don't have any authority or power to do it, you're free to ignore it, all right? But I just thought about this. Okay, so we we take any given church, could be the forks, could be any church, and we divide it in two, all right? And we say to half the church, okay, what you're going to do is you're going to meet in small groups for the next six months. And not only are you going to meet in small groups for six months, we're going to take half the church's budget for that six months, and we're going to make it available to you as small groups to give to your community, to support one another, to to give to missions. In other words, you have the church's wealth at your disposal without coming to church to be Christ's ambassadors. And then we say to the other half, you're going to continue to do what you're doing. You know, maybe you hire a new music minister, or maybe you hire a youth director, whatever. But do what you do, okay, as the church. And in six months we're going to meet back together in the sanctuary and see which half has more converts with them. I don't know where that goes, but think about it for a minute. You know, if we were enabled, free in our hearts and spirits, to just be with people and invite them to know this Jesus, and, and by the way, if they're having trouble paying their rent, we could step up and do that. You know, if they had a doctor bill that was unexpected, we, we could step in and do that. You know, If we had the freedom and the mindset to do those sorts of things, then the test would be look and see in six months which, which half of the church has more folks in it, more believers in it, more followers of Jesus in it. Test your servants for 10 days, said Jesus, or excuse me, said Daniel, and, and just see how that works. So this Jesus, this Jesus, the one who was mighty, In the works that God gave him to do. The one who was crucified. The one who was buried and raised from the dead. The one who ascended. The one who sits on the right hand of God. This Jesus is Lord of the church. Lord of you and me. Not of a building. Not of a denomination. Not of any particular group or association. He is the Lord of you and me as his believers. As his disciples. And it's as those disciples that we are called to go and proclaim Salvation in the name of this Jesus. I want to just leave you with that and pray that the spirit would lead all of us to, to grasp that reality in our day uh, as, we, as we deal not only with COVID or the recession, but as we deal with the challenge of making Jesus known and inviting people to life in him. Let's pray together. Father, thank you that you have come that you have given of yourself in the person of Jesus, that you have offered to us salvation full and free in His name and by His merits, so that we can freely come before you and have our needs met, freely come as children, enjoy that we are part of your family. And so I pray, Father, as, as we think on these things, as we focus anew on Jesus on him who died for us, that we might be filled with the spirit and with power and with joy to be your ambassadors in this world, to declare his name and his praises until he returns, this Jesus who was taken up and who shall come again. We pray in his name, amen.